Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. There, you will find a breadth and depth of interview topics relevant to business creators just like you. You'll find all the options to connect to us on your favorite subscription network so you can get fresh content delivered to you every time we release an episode, which is at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. We have a lot of content, a lot of different angles, a lot of different benefits for business creators like yourself, and I want to make sure that you take a moment and do that now if you can, because some of what we reveal in today's episode may be something that you want to go back and listen to again. Please be sure to have two pens and a pad of paper in front of you to capture those aha moments. And I say have two pens because what will happen is inevitably one of your pens will run out of ink or it will just do that weird thing where it won't write, or your cat will pick it up and walk away with it just when there's something very interesting coming through that you want to capture for yourself. Been there a thousand times myself. So today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be discussing the transition from linear income to passive income. This is a new terminology that refers to something you may be familiar with in different words, but who we have to share with us today is going to give you a new way of thinking about this. Uh, it is a topic that has uh, you know, to do, uh, I believe at least partially, with real estate investing. And we have a few of these types of episodes on Business Creators Radio every year when we have somebody who has something new and exciting to say about it. So if we're bringing this topic on, you know that this is one you want to pay attention to. So without further ado, I'd like to tell you who we have on today. His name is Jack Gibson. He's the founder of HighReturnRealEstate.com. And Jack spends his time mentoring other entrepreneurs, building his real estate portfolio, and helping other investors to build a brighter future through the power of turnkey real estate income. And before we get there, we're going to go through some other things which you're going to love. Jack Gibson, come on in. The weather's fine. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure's all mine. So right about now, people just heard your name is Jack Gibson, and you have a website, highreturnrealestate.com. I can almost hear the separate browser tabs opening as people bing the Yahoo out of the Googles trying to discover more about you and more about your company and what you do. So what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio, before we get into the primary topic, is just take a step back and get to know you a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, so that's a great setup. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, anytime you got to interject a question, uh, you know, feel free. I got started – you know, really what triggered me, you know, back was when I was, you know, growing up, my uncle was a, a really successful businessman. He owned three different companies and he was like a second father. Um, so I was, you know, I spent a lot of time with him. He didn't have children of his own and he was a farmer. He had a insurance company, he had a tent table and chair rental company. And uh, so, he, you know, he just had that entrepreneurial spirit that kind of rubbed off on me. So one, uh, but one, what happens one, uh, one summer I decided to clear off some farmland for him and I went to work for him as an hourly employee. And I, I don't know, it was 
like 20 hours in and I was like really tough work. I mean, you're clearing off, you know, it's back breaking work. And um, so I came in to get my pay and he gave me a hundred bucks. I'm like, wait, wait, you're joking, right? Like you got to be kidding. You're multi, multi millionaire and you're giving me $5 an hour. And it was at that point where I'm like, I'm never going to put myself in a position again where I'm working for wages. I want to be the one that's creating profits. So that was pretty much my last job that I remember. <laughs> um, I started as a nutri- in a nutrition company as a distributor. It's a large MLM, very successful company. And, you know, I made a sale for 200 bucks you know, pretty soon after that, and I made a $100 profit. I'm like, well, this is much better, right? That took me an hour versus 20 hours. I made the same amount of money. Um, I'm all in on this. So I started growing that company right from my dorm. And by the time, had a really rough start, but by the time I hit my junior slash senior year of college, I was making around what my college professors were earning. So I went into that full time in 2000, and that's when I got a hold of the uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad book from Robert Kiyosaki. I'm sure most people on the, you know, have heard of the book and read it. And yep. that really changed my, my mode of thinking into, you know, look, I need to not only build this business up, which was a largely passive income driven business. You can, you know, you get paid royalties and residual income off the sales of other distributors that you bring in and train and teach. But, um, I needed to take the uh, profits from that and start learning how to invest into real estate. So that was kind of where the journey all started right there into real estate. And then it really wasn't until about four or five years ago that I really had a serious amount of cash flow available to, you know, to really get into it, you know, to and really play the game at the right level. But anyways, what else can I, you know, what else can I tell you? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's, um, yeah, so uh, that's a really good story. And there's a couple things that jump out for me. When I was uh, fairly young, my family had a lot of land, and I turned some of the stuff that had to be done with a weed whacker into stuff that could be cleaned with a with a push mower. And the reason I did that is I just didn't like weed whacking. So they have a much bigger yard today because I hated weed whacking. Uh, loved going to work outside. It was sort of like my zen, actually. I I had a little grass cutting business going. I made a little bit of money. I wish I would have lived in more of a suburban community growing up because I could have wrapped up a lot more yards. When you're way out in the country and everybody has acreage and you're 11 years old, there's only so far you can go with that push mower. So that's the thing about my childhood is I wish we would have lived in the suburbs because I could have wrapped up like 40 yards within the distance I could push that mower and I could have made a lot of money. But that's, that's something that I had no control of either then or now. You also um, referenced the moment that you decided that entrepreneurship was your way to go, and depending on somebody else to determine how much money you make wasn't going to happen for you. For me, it was slightly more dramatic. I, uh, you know, I had, um, I worked for a few companies before I made the jump when I was 28 years old, and I have a, I had a lot of great memories. Still have some great friends from that era, and I also have a couple cautionary tale stories. One of which is, is I was. Um, working for this one company, and I guess uh, some somebody with some title like manager or director from some other department went to my supervisor and said that uh, they thought that I was uh, out kicking my coverage 
and that I needed to be reminded of my exact place on the org chart. And furthermore, they wanted my supervisor to deliver the message that if I were ever to say the world was round and this, this manager said the world was flat, not only was I to defer to their wisdom, but I was to apologize for assuming otherwise. My supervisor relayed all this to me in a laughing tone. It's like, you know, don't worry about this, not or what have you. But that's just some of what's out there. And it pained right. me to think. This is somebody who supervises other people and does their performance evaluations. This is how they treat people they don't know. Well, there's a funny little prologue to that story as I ran into that same person that complained about me about a year after I was an entrepreneur. Now, since then, I'd already worked for two other companies, uh, but they remembered me when they saw me in the Panera Bread, and they came up and tried to make all buddy-buddy with me. It's like, oh, Adam, how have you been? I said, what'd you call me? Well, Adam, isn't that your name? I said, excuse me, I'm a CEO, and I'm a president of my company. You will address me as Mr. Homie or Sir. The only person in your organization who calls me Adam is, and I gave the name of their CEO, because he's the only one who's on my plane, leave. So I had a little bit of fun with that one. Uh, But, yeah, the reason I bring that up is because it was that seminal moment when I realized if you let – if you take the chance that – for your entire life, other people are going to decide what kind of raise you get, what kind of promotion you get, or somebody decides to screw you on a performance evaluation and put you on a track so that even if you get maximum raises from, from then on forward, they're going to be lower than they could have been. And even when you jump to another company, they look at what you were making at the previous company, and the best they'll ever offer you is 10% more to make the jump. Um, no, that that really wasn't flying for me, and I recognized I was young enough to uh, – uh, to sort of nip that one in the bud, take control of my own destiny, so to speak. So the well, first thing I want to do here, Jack, is I want to define our terms. We're discussing how to go from making linear income to passive income, mm-hmm. and I've heard those terms before, but define them for our purposes so that we're on your wavelength. What do you mean by linear income, and what do you mean by passive income? Yeah, so first let me just make a comment on what you said about outkicking your coverage. I just celebrated my 15-year anniversary with my wife, and I posted, you know, it was posted on Facebook, of course. And you get, like, all the comments, and one of the comments was, dude, you out definitely outkicked your coverage. Yes. <laughs> marrying, a.k.a. marrying up, which, you know what, I'm proud of that. You know, it means I made a, yep. a big sale, you know, made the sale yep. of a yeah. lifetime. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm just old enough to remember when we used to call that sipwitting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's a great question. And, and really, to me, this is really defines everything about creating a business. You know, for me, I want a lifestyle business. You know, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to spend time with my, my boys as they're growing. I want to be able to you know, have both lots of time and lots of money. You know, most people have one or the other. They have lots of time, but, you know, they could be on a very <clears throat> fixed income, you know, type deal where they have all the time in the world but no money to enjoy it or, or it's, you know, the opposite. So in setting out uh, the, the real way, I think, to be able to have both is to have a lifestyle-based business. And the only way to do that is to have a business that creates passive income. So that keeps generating money, whether you're actually working it or not. And there's only two ways to do it. You either have money at work, you know, a.k.a. lots of capital and to 
really, you know, play that game. You've got to have, you know, in my book, you need at least a couple million. Uh, you know, I mean, you have a million. That's just really not enough, in my opinion, to live a real, you know, incredible lifestyle. So you need lots of capital. You need, um, you know, people at work. You need to be able to leverage off teams. So my very first business was more leveraged off of the, you know, multi-level marketing business. That was more leveraged off people at work. That's a very, very low capital intensive business. I mean, it cost me $100 to get started. Well, real estate, that's a much more capital intensive or, you know, money at work type business. And of course, there's ways to play the real estate game where you don't have, you know, you can utilize other people's money. But at the end of the day, you know, you need somebody's money to play the game, <laughs> either your own or you borrow it or leverage or whatnot. So, you know, I've been, uh, the reason I was attracted to in these two types of industries is because of, I love passive income. I don't, I mean, I, I enjoy nutrition. I think that's, you know, I, I'm passionate about it. I'd like to live a healthy lifestyle, but out of, you know, really I'm more passionate about the result that the business can create for me than I am about per se the actual product or whatnot that we're serving. Right. And the same thing in real estate. I'm not in love with, you know, properties and real estate and all that. What I love about it is that I can create a passive income that keeps coming in through renting, renting the property out month after month after month and leveraging off of, you know, that sort of um, activity. So, you know, that's kind of where I always think of it is what can I create? Like, for example, this year, and this is the lifestyle that we live in, it's almost too much, but so far this year, we've gone to um, Cabo, we've gone to Singapore for two weeks, we've gone to Hawaii, we've gone to New Orleans, we've gone to, we just got back from yesterday from a trip from a week to Jamaica. We went to the Outer Banks for a week in North Carolina, which is beautiful. And um, in addition, a couple other, you know, weekend ski trips. That's just this year, and we're in August. That's the sort of yeah. And yeah, the businesses, the businesses keep running. They keep providing income month after month. So then we can be traveling, and yet we're still making money. So to me, that's the only way I want to do business. If it's out there, I want to learn it. I want to study it. I want to master it so that I can enjoy the fruits of that. I'm going to throw a zinger at you, and if this is something you can't answer, just say, I need to dial a friend. Can we agree on that? Okay. Yeah. All right. There, sure. There, okay, there, there are companies out there that run affiliate programs. So you know, I have a product, I have a service, and I have people out there acting as my affiliates where they promote my stuff, they share my affiliate link, and when people buy through it, I get a piece of the action uh, you know, I were either I make the sale and they get a piece of the action off that. Now, some people call that passive income because it's money. You, it's money you really don't have to work for. Other people acting as your affiliates are doing the work in exchange for a piece of the action um, off the top, whether it's fifteen percent, twenty percent, or fifty percent. Do you consider that passive income? I think it can be. I think it it depends on. There's some definite things that it would depend upon. I think if it's a, you know, a consumable item that people, you know, they go through on a, a monthly or, you know, uh, you know, consume it within a certain period of time and then they need to reorder it, then yes, that could be definitely could be passive income. 
I think that if you're consistently, you know, having to keep generate new business to replace the old, then I think that's uh, essentially to me that's a business where you have a job. So uh, if you can set up the business to be profitable where you constantly need new business in order to uh, sustain it, but you have somebody that, you know, you've hired to kind of to run it and you don't have to do anything yeah. except just kind of oversee it, then that could be a situation where it is a passive income business. So it does depend on how it's set up. So I guess, yes, it depends, uh, you know, on the structure and the product. Yeah, I asked that question because I'm kind of back and forth on it because in in the information marketing industry and even some um, service industries, you see build passive income by having an affiliate program. And at the same time, I know that there's this unicorn out there, and this unicorn is known as an experienced affiliate manager. Everybody out there is looking for an affiliate manager. If I had a dollar for every time that somebody asked me if I knew somebody who could be an affiliate manager or asked me if I could be an affiliate manager, I probably wouldn't have to do Business Creators Radio Show because I would have rolled up all the money I made off of that into some of the stuff you're going to share with us in the second half. So, uh, right. so um, right. to, me, to me, I think that kind of speaks to the same point, which is affiliates don't just happen, and affiliates don't just go out there and promote your stuff. You also hear the story of, oh, I have 100 affiliates, but only three of them ever refer me anything. Well, duh, that's how it works. Uh, right. usually you only get two or three affiliates that actually do a damn thing. And then you get situations like this where I um, I have a really – good friend in business and he was running an affiliate program for a while and I would refer people to him and uh, they would work with him either as uh, they would uh, go to his events or they would hire him as a coach or they'd join his mastermind or they'd buy his products and I'd see because I had my affiliate account I'd finally get a notice okay I made a sale I finally got an affiliate and in 10 minutes I'd hear from him uh, you know, I'd see my Skype. It's uh, he'd, he'd type, got a sec, and I'd say sure, and I'd answer, and uh, and uh, then he'd dial through my Skype, and I'd answer it, and I wouldn't even say hello, how you doing? I'd say, okay, what's the story about how I didn't refer this one to you? And he'd always have some story about how this person was a friend of his, or this person was a previous client of theirs, or he had had some conversation with this person two years ago, and this was the culmination of two years of his own follow-up. And, and I would say, well, you know, it's kind of how affiliate, not how affiliates work. The catalytic decision was he clicked through my link. I'd say, well, right. but I don't really count this as your referral, so I'm not going to pay you. And after about three, three of these went through, I said, I said to my friend, I said, look, you have an affiliate program, I'm guessing because somebody told you you had to have an affiliate program. You don't want to pay affiliates, do you? And he said, eh, candidly, no, I'd be happy to just delete this. And he shut down his affiliate program. He and I have had an agreement for the past six years since we had that conversation where we just simply agree that we're going to support each other in business, we're going to celebrate each other's launches, share each other's stuff, and whenever one of us runs across somebody who we think might be a good fit for the other, uh, refer them over. And uh, just simply do that to raise each other's ships without worrying about exchanging 20 bucks here or there. And I've got to tell you, that's the best referral relationship I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I just don't think anything is really passive income until it's – unless it's passive the sustainability test. 
You know, to me, I mean, that's, you know, min five years, and I, I always think a decade or longer. You know, I look at, like, real estate. I mean, people are always going to need a place to live, no, no matter what, right? Absolutely. That's 100 years from now, I mean, people are still going to need to have uh, affordable housing. So Correct. I think it can pass the uh, sustainability test. Whereas, like, you know, nutrition, I mean, and we serve a, you know, like a meal replacement as product is one of our primary um, number one selling products, right? Well, you know, we've stood the test of the last 40 years and it's not slowing down and people are always going to need to have good quality, nutritious, fast food. So I think that 10 years from now, you know, it's going to still be here and it's still still going to be selling. Now, could it get disrupted with other products? Yeah, of course, it's always a chance, right, in any type of um, you know, business model is that disruption can wipe away your passive income, but uh, you know, you got to take your chances with that. Right. So right. Um, that's, that's really the way, you know, I think about it is like, uh, look, a lot of these, I think affiliate programs, I mean, yeah, it could be, pa- if it's passive for a year or two, I don't, I mean, to me, and then it's gone. I don't think that's passive income, honestly. It's, um, that's linear income. Yeah. I think, I think you have a, case with that so before we went live here we were chatting a little bit and uh, you um, mentioned that you uh, you're telling me a little bit about your stories about the best investment you ever made and the worst investment you ever made what were those and why okay so the best investment I ever made was when I offered 50% equity in my company high return real estate with my business partner Shecky and so a lot of people think of an investment in terms of like a stock, bond, real estate. And to me, I think of it investing into people. And I think investing into people is how, you know, that's how everything to me happens. Teamwork and, and you know, processes, but people. So I think I try to explain it like this. I'm like, look, I could have kept, I was selling a lot of properties myself without Shecky. And I was getting 100% of the pie, right? But with Shecky and giving up 50% of my profit, I was able to, I'm able to sell 10 times as many properties and I'm able to sustain that and create automation systems and processes and things that where properties can be sold and all I have to do is sign a purchase agreement. So we're just, I'm getting 50%, but of a much, much larger pie. So that was my best investment by far. My worst investment was my first partnership when I first came into real estate. Um, I, I made the classic mistake of trusting and not verifying. And uh, the guy that I partnered up with, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it cost me, it's, I'm still paying the price a year and a half later. So the guy that I first partnered up with, you know, he seemed like a, a really good dude and he was, you know, really fun to talk to. And I even stayed in his guest bedroom in his house and, you know, I never got really got a bad vibe or got wind, but he was uh, doing a lot of, you know, things that weren't on the up and up. I mean, he'd do rehabs and wouldn't finish the properties and then he'd pay out fake rents. And, and then so me and other investors that I brought in thought, Oh yeah, this is working great. Where in fact, you know, all you did is have a, a house of cards and we're part of a Ponzi scheme. <clears throat> so yeah, I fixed all. I took a lot of money 
all the profits that I made from all those sales out of my own pocket. I fixed all my investors' properties, you know, back up or as much as I could. I mean, some were, you know, it was beyond the scope of what I could do, but I did the absolute best I could to mitigate losses, fix everybody up, and get them either sold off or back to performing, and just made the best of it that I could and move on. And you know, that was um, that was that was that was the worst investment of all time. And, and you know, but a lot of good has happened out of that. You know, I wouldn't have met Shecky if it hadn't been for that partner, because you know, really wouldn't have probably gotten into real estate. Um, wouldn't have met some other great, you know, partnerships along the way. So, um, yeah, even though it, it was really bad, it, there's, I usually feel like you can turn those things around if you really look for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And um, people are wondering who this Shecky is. And I'll inform our listeners, uh, if you've been following Business Creators Radio Show lately, very recently – we interviewed uh, Jack's business partner named Jeff Schechter, and that's where we had the conversation uh, that ultimately evolved into how to match the laptop lifestyle and the, and the digital nomad lifestyle to real estate investing. So if you haven't seen that one yet, subscribe to us or visit our website at businesscreatorsradioshow.com and go check that out after you're done listening to this one because you're going to see uh, the other side of this great partnership and that very unique conversation we had, especially for our uh, digital nomads and our life, laptop laugh, lifestylers who make up a significant portion of our audience. And you're going to find a very interesting approach on how to combine real estate with moving around the world. So I encourage you to check that out. I'm going to leave it there for now. So without getting into the detail, I also want to say, I got burned by a business partner once too, like really bad. And uh, so I think a yeah. lot of us have actually been there. Uh, I used to think, well, I was, you know, I used to think, well, boy, I'm the only one getting screwed like this. Or is this guy actually screwing me, or am I just over, uh, or am I just overreacting? Am I really looking at all sides of this? Am I, am I being paranoid? Uh, uh, no, I'm being screwed. And uh, wow, you know. People could look at this and think that I was complicit in it, where I wasn't. But people could look at it that way. And uh, sure. and you you said this, you said the same thing. You looked at what you were doing with your one partner. You said, "Oh crap, it looks like I'm in a Ponzi scheme." So I just wanted to highlight yeah. that, just because you know some of our listeners may have felt that they were in situations where they were kind of exposed due to something that somebody else did, but they may have a feeling of why didn't I do enough or or why didn't I catch this, or, or what amends do I have to make now? And the answer to many of those questions is, in fact, nothing. Uh, as long as when you caught it, you got out of it. And it sounds like that's what you did. And by making that choice, recognizing what was going on, and salvaging the situation, you moved it in something way better. Yeah, you know, we really learned a lot of lessons from that, and it really caused us to do a really deep dive into our processes and systems and just the quality standards that we were, you know, utilizing. For example, now we do double inspections on all our pro uh, properties by a third party. And that was yeah. a big problem. What happened was, you know, like so many in investors trusted me and they trusted the business partner because he came across like he was a very trustworthy person down to earth. And so we, we all just trusted, but we didn't verify. Nobody ordered a third-party inspection, or I should say very few. Well, the ones that, that were inspected, you know, 
they um, they got a better, much better rehab. So they were, you know, at, at, when I first went through that process, I'm like, oh man, this is such a pain. It's slowing down the sale. You know, inspectors going to find these, you know, all these things wrong because that's their job. So that's going to cause, you know, even more, you know, costs for us to to you know spend on the property to get the investor to to close. But man, I'm so thankful the ones that did because they were the ones that were the least amount of problems to fix you know, later once the house of cards came, you know, crumbling down. So I, and I, yeah, absolutely agree with what you said, Adam. I mean, I know that there's people that probably thought that I was somewhat in on it, so to speak, or Uh that they definitely, definitely questioned my integrity. And, you know, the only thing, the only thing that I could do is just to take action and try to repair it and show them that, Hey, look, I'm doing the best that I can I had no idea once I caught it, you know, here's what we did and so on. But, uh, you know, I, I think that people always are going to eventually figure out your true colors. They're going to come out, you know, yeah. one way or the other, good or bad. So, yeah, I'm very be, happy to say what okay. happened to me. Yeah, I'm very happy to say what happened to me. I managed to actually salvage all but one of those relationships because one of them just couldn't see past it. But, uh and uh, yeah. this and this was this is the cases where sort of like great. I mean, looking back on it retrospectively, I couldn't see it clearly when it was happening right in front of me. It's like I, I pushed back on the situation and it got resolved. But um, finally, I found out that behind my back, behind my back, somebody who I was in business with had uh, done something to a shared client of ours and had been blowing off the shared client of ours who then, you know, Having tried to resolve it like an adult, then had to approach me at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, Because what they wanted to do is they wanted to give me notice that they were about to slime me to gain leverage over this this other person. Um, And they they did it intentionally at 2 o'clock in the morning my time because they were going to launch the campaign at 5.30 in the morning my time so that uh, they could say – uh, they could say they um, hadn't warned me in advance. So, um, and, and the leverage they were going to do is they were going to say that I did all this stuff so that I would turn on this person I was in business with and make them and, and hold them accountable. So here's the funny thing. That's 2 o'clock in the morning. I was just getting back from seeing the, the woman who was my girlfriend at the time, so I caught it when it came in. It's like, oh, 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 so you're awake now. All right. So tell me what's going on, because I'm legitimately in the dark here. And when I heard the story, well, this person I was in business with got a little uh, middle-of-the-night notice, too, because I um, I cut them off. They came to their office that morning and found out that they no longer had a business partner. And wow. by the time that they found out they didn't have a business partner, this person that uh, they had done this stuff to had already sent me copies of bank statements, copies of emails, and copies of all other kinds of things. So this person I was in business with kept uh, trying to show me evidence that they were resolving the situation, and they were sending me copies of emails that this third person allegedly sent to them. And I'm saying, wait a minute, that's not the email they sent you. You edited this. I have the original. Want to keep lying to me? So I was in a situation where I just had to push through it, and I had to – I realized I wasn't going to come out of it without mud on me, but 
I had to do the best I could. And sure. fortunately, this was so many years ago. And at one point, this person I was in business with said, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't care what those people think. And it's like, well, I care what those people think. Because number one, well, the reason they gave them for not caring what those people think is they didn't really view them as their prospective clients anyway. I said, well, number one, I care what they think because number one, I have integrity. And number two, they're the people I want to do business with in that order. So take your narcissism somewhere else. Uh, right. The funny thing with Business Creators Radio shows, we sometimes tell these war stories. That's why the, our interviews tend to run a little bit longer for our listeners who have been with us for a while. So they recognize we get into some real-world stuff that isn't necessarily taught in the textbooks and isn't necessarily the officially approved uh, storyline. So that people can see that when you're in, you're, you're there at the intersection of your brilliance and your passion, and this stuff comes up, and you think that something's happening to you that's never happened to anybody else. You tell us that story, and we're going to say, welcome to the club, pal. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's just so important to, um, you know, just hold strong in your integrity and, and always do the right thing. And, look, I, I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to think what they're going to think. But right. you can rest your head on the pillow at night knowing that, you're doing the best that you could to to do right by other people, then to me that's really what's the most important because they're not always going to see exactly what you did or how you handled the situation. or They're going to see it how it occurs to them. So, yeah. uh, you know, I don't ever worry about – I mean, I guess I do worry about what people think, right? But I'm human. Well, you have to do it agree, yeah. Right, right. Reputation right, but, management, uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I want to I just – always do the best that I can and play the long game. Play the long game. I want to make one more quick point. This is just two minutes, and this is in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. And you have stuff to share with us about mindset, about cash flow and appreciation, which is going to make up the final part of our interview. But I want to make this one point. When I check online reviews, and this is important to this conversation because people who are involved in real estate have online reviews, and they can have be potentially getting, like if you're a realtor, for instance, or somebody who invests in houses or a landlord or what have you, you can be potentially getting simultaneously reviewed on seven different websites. And you're occasionally going to get that person that's just an absolute troll that just wants to flame you, or somebody just wants to complain and complain and complain and, and blast you without wanting to resolve the situation. And you're going to get those cases where, you know what, they legitimately tried to reach you to resolve it uh, peaceably, but you just didn't get the messages for whatever reason. All that stuff happens. And so they blast you on a review site. And I, sure. when, I look at, when I look at reviews, let's say it's a scale of one to five. Uh, I don't want to work with a company that's all fives because, frankly, I believe that some of those reviews are fake and bought. I'm looking right. for a company that has about a 4.3, and here's the reason why. Because I want to know that I'm working with real people who care. And I want to know that they're human. I want to know that they're continuously learning and becoming better. I want to know that they've screwed up, how they screwed up, and what they did about it. Because that's going to tell me everything I need to know about what happens if I enter a business, a business relationship with them and something goes a little bit sideways. And so I'll look for that review that was a one reviewer or, or where they got torched or something like that. And one piece of advice I give to folks, like if you have somebody 
who you're trying to deal with, but all they want to do is just blast you publicly, is what you do is you make a, an attempt to contact them privately, email, phone, whatever you have, and then you reply to that review and you say, um, uh, look, I really want to work this out. I just left a voicemail message for you and spell out their phone number so that uh, the whole world knows you're being legit about this. And I just emailed you at and put their email address so that uh, people, so that you're up front. So check that phone, that phone number's voicemail. Check that email address's inbox. There should be a message from me in there. I've reached out to you. I want to work this out. Uh, please contact me. Let's have a conversation. If you didn't hear from me in either of those places, here's my contact information. Spell out your phone number. Spell out your email address so that the whole world sees you're being completely transparent. And that's how you do it, because if that person just wants to continue to bitch, moan, complain, and flame, then you've exposed them as a troll. If there's somebody who's just legitimately frustrated for reasons of their own but actually does want to work it out, they'll say, oh, okay, I'll give you a call in five minutes. Either way, you resolve the situation in a way that shows that you did the best you could within your integrity. Yeah, definitely a great point. I, I think about the five star you guys. <laughs> That's really good because, like, I mean, nobody is really perfect as a business. I mean, come on. So, right. I, I totally, I love it. That's a great, great way to look at it. Yeah, I actually feel more comfortable knowing that a company, or provider, a landlord, a realtor, whatever, I more feel more comfortable knowing they have screwed up a couple times because that <laughs> means they've learned some lessons that have made them better at what they do. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Now, if they're getting 1.1 out of 5, I run screaming, but uh, that's right. Yeah, much. You that's need to write a book about that right. one. <laughs> so, right. Uh, if that's consistent, so, that's a problem. Exactly. Exactly. So we have about 20 minutes left here, and I know there's a third phase of our conversation here that I want to get into now. So um, the past 10, 10 minutes or so, we've been talking about mindset. Uh, when it really comes down to it, we're talking about the mindsets of success. So what about your mindset, Jack, has driven you to create not one but two successful multimillion-dollar businesses we may not have covered up until now? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think there's certainly not one, you know, like answer to that question. It's a series of, you know, events, and I'd say uh, two things, you know, number one, I had an awesome mom. She taught me work ethic. She taught me how to treat other people. She drilled into me, you know, like all these, because she grew up on a farm, so she drew all these, like, famous farm sayings, many hands made like work, you know, make hay while the sun shines, um, you know, all things that actually, you know, are real applicable to today's business world, you know, how you treat other people, you know, the golden rule, all of that. So, those were those were constantly constantly drilled into my head, and I you know I really you know somebody tells you something enough you're gonna just believe it right. So that was a, a big part of it is the environment uh, role models, and then you know I decided at a young age to uh, dive into personal development. Uh, my very first book was Think and Grow Rich at age 19. And then from there, I just got a hunger for reading, you know, thought-provoking, mindset-enhancing books. And I've had that, um, and I have a huge library of stuff that I've read over the last, you know, 20 years that I feel like it's the quality of the books and the audios and the podcasts that you listen to that 
manifests itself in the result. Look, I mean, I don't think there's any good output that happens without first having a good input. So it's it's what is the input that's coming in that's feeding your mind? I mean, it's the same thing for your body too, right? Like whatever you put into it is the result that's going to manifest itself in physical form. Your body's going to be in whatever shape of, you know, the uh, foods that you eat and the uh, exercise that you do. So um, I feel like it, just as importantly is what do you what nutrition are you mentally feeding yourself on a daily basis? So I think, you know, in terms of investments go, in my book, the number one investment by far that will create, the you know, 100 times more wealth than any other investment on the planet is what do you invest into yourself? Yeah. And I, so I, I spend money, a lot of money on courses and coaching and books and audio tapes and all these things that I can learn and become a student and, and become better. So that's just, I mean, that's not a secret. <laughs> it's work. work. Working on becoming better. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, when uh, I'm, I'm dating myself here, so uh, you know, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. And when I was, uh, I guess, what you would call middle school age, and this was the late 1980s, uh, there were three books I read within that general era that, to this day, have informed a lot of what I know about business, um, whether you look at it as a, a recommendation, a cautionary tale, or something that guides you to help you understand some of the nuances of being successful, having mindsets, uh, being able to move through adversity, experience success, and also accept that you yourself are not perfect, uh, which I think is a key mindset thing. Um, I, I know the three books because they all sit on my bookshelf today. Um, in no particular order, uh, a biography of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, the title of the book was FDR, and it was written by Ted Morgan. It came out in 1985. Uh, then there was this book called The Art of the Deal by a guy named Donald Trump who later on went into politics. And the third right. one was by the late, Warren G. Bennis, B-E-N-N-I-S, who wrote a book on On Becoming a Leader. Now, what I liked about all three of these books is they're, told, they're taught in a storybook format where you get to see real people in real situations in real time and how they dealt with it, some of the factors that they had to experience and some of the ways that they had to approach the situation as it presented itself often without having all the information necessary to make, quote-unquote, the best decision. But they had to make a decision, they had to do something, and they had to work through the consequences. Uh, and that prepared me. Those three books prepared me for when I was in MBA school. And we started looking at uh, case studies in the Harvard Business Review, and we started looking at uh, creating simulations of business problems and how to solve them. Because what I had in the back of my mind is, yeah, this class has a textbook. Big freaking deal. There's another element to this altogether when you're actually the one in the boardroom and you got to do something. Yeah, I think for you know for me it's uh, Think and Grow Rich. It's uh, Richest Man in Babylon, which teaches you how to invest wisely, and then uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, which um, you know all told in story form. Which I think for for me, is important to keep my attention. But those three that you mentioned, I mean, I haven't honestly read any of those three. So I was, as soon as I hear a good book recommendation, 
I always go to Amazon right away, boom, just order it. So that, yep. like, I, cause if I put it on, if I just say, oh yeah, I'll do that later, I don't ever do it. Later never happens. Like, it's either yeah. right then and there, or I'll never probably get the book and it'll be a great passing thought. So immediate yeah. action is very important to success in life and business. Yeah. You know how I've you know how I've sold most of the copies of my book Groundhog Day is an event not a business strategy is uh, after I became an international Amazon bestselling author yes folks I have the badge I um, changed all of my name tags for organizations I belong to like the Rotary and the local professional organizations I changed uh, references to myself on social media and websites and things like that to highlight the fact that I'm an international Amazon bestselling author so when you're at a networking group and somebody comes to you and says uh, like, because previously I was labeled as consultant, and say, uh, what kind of consulting do you do, uh, Adam? Like, how do we even know, how, how do I know that this is even a conversation I need to have with you? Because how do I know anything? Because you didn't even introduce yourself. You just looked at my name tag, said my name, and asked me what kind of consulting I do. How do I know I need to have this conversation with you? But when I switched it to author slash speaker, now the conversation is, oh, you're an author. What's your book? Well, I can tell them Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. It's about how to subtly adjust your language to get better results and how to apply minimalist principles to your business to achieve maximum results. And I'll say, oh, that's interesting. Where do I get it? And I say, go to thegroundhogbook.com. Tell you what, do you have your phone? Go there right now. You there? Cool. All right, click the orange button. All right, you're on, the, you're on my Amazon listing? And uh, you know what to do. And right in front of me, they'll buy the book. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes like they'll it. like like if they have Kindle Unlimited, they'll just add it to their library, which counts as a sale. Um, if they don't, uh, and they're getting charged for the Kindle, they'll pay the three bucks. Or if I get a chance to say the final piece, which is, hey, bring me, you know, if you buy the paperback and bring it to me, I'll autograph it. They'll buy the paperback because there's something funny about having autographed copies of books that just motivates people. It's weird, but it works. So that so I bring that up just going back to the whole thing about the massive action of when you see something that's worth reading, buy it. Yes, absolutely. I mean that's it's a great way to. I like it. I, I wouldn't. I definitely have thought about re, uh, writing my own book at some point. I mean I think I'll probably a lot of people have that kind of itch they'd love to scratch. It's a great. It's a great way to uh, go about promoting it. So I, you know, I learned so much getting on these podcasts. You know, not as a not only as a as a guest, but just, you know, ideas that come up like this. And I learned, I mean, from having our own podcast, the High Return Real Estate Show, I've learned so much more about investing and have access to, you know, to conversations with people that I never would have, you know, been able to talk to. So, And, you know, Jack, thank you for sharing that with us because, you know, I think about this too. Uh, a couple weeks ago, as I mentioned, we had your business partner, Jeff Schechter, who we call Shecky, on Business Creators Radio. and he revealed something to me that I hadn't even thought of, uh, which is the whole idea that you, if you want to live the digital nomad lifestyle or the laptop lifestyle or laptop lifestyle, and you want to travel between several different cities a year, maybe you want to just spend six months one place, six months the other place, whatever it is, you still want to live in one place, that so you can invest in properties or buy properties in all of those cities and towns and 
work with a short-term leasing company or short-term leasing management company that can put the property on Airbnb or do 30-day leases or something like that, you just let them know when you want to live there so they don't lease it out during that time. See, I'd never thought of that as a way of creating wealth because then during those two months I want to live in Chicago or those three months I want to live in Miami or whatever it is, then I don't have to worry about finding uh, a lease of my own or anything like that. I've already got a place to live. Hell, I can even leave a wardrobe and a set of toiletries there. So all I have to do is get on a plane and show up. The only thing I have to bring is my laptop and my cats. So the point being I bring that up is, you know, that wasn't the original topic that we were going to, to discover, but just the fact that we get to have these conversations allows for new ideas to emerge that might not necessarily come to the fore if we were just simply doing formulaic Q&A type interviews. We run these a little bit longer, we get into free-flowing conversations, and brilliance like that emerges. Yeah, so it, as far as that as a strategy, are you asking my opinion on that or what? I was mostly making a, I was I mostly you? making a statement because you shared on that a moment ago. Uh, but what we'd like to do now, since we are back to investing, is and I think this is one of the last one or two things you wanted to cover with us is there are a couple different ways to look at investments. One of which is cash flow. Another which which is appreciation. So sure. when you invest, which one or both of those? Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's both. Do you focus on? Do you invest for? And what are the reasons for that? Okay, so great question. So, <laughs> you know, uh, when I first got started in real estate, it was strictly I was strictly looking for cash flow, um, and the reason why is that I needed a secondary backup source of stabilized income to protect my family and myself from any sort of potential downturn in our other company nutrition business. And at the time, you know, we were going through quite a bit of unknowns. We had a, you know, uh, uh, FTC inquiry. We had a major, major um, hedge fund that was attacking our company, trying to short our stock. All of that, you know, we've gone through with flying colors. And, I mean, we're absolutely, yeah, I mean, we decimated the, the uh, you know, the attacker. And he's ran with his tail between his legs and our company's, you know, sales are just cranking. But anyways, I knew that at that time, like I, I, did, I had a lot of uncertainty and I, I had to create something else that could, you know, continue to come in for our lifestyle. Now, you know, that we have two really good sources of income, it's uh, much more going to turn to the appreciation game. And that, you know, obviously has a lot of tax implications versus cash flow. I mean, cash flow, you're going to be taxed at, you know, much higher levels as whereas if you're playing the appreciation game you know you can uh, essentially if you hold a property for you know long stretches of time and then will it to your children you're never paying taxes on those gains right so i think a, a lot of people have to look at you know what are your immediate needs like what do you need to live a great lifestyle and then at some point it's going to convert to where your tax you know, rate and percentage playing the cash flow game no longer makes that much sense. And you need to start thinking more in the along the lines of, you know, capital appreciation type game. Right. And, you know, I love the way you, you broke that down because uh, I've, I'm familiar with the argument of cash flow versus appreciation. I wanted to hear your thoughts on it being somebody who does it. Because I've heard from a lot of armchair strategists in bars and cigar shops on how to do this, people who aren't actually doing it but will tell you the right way to do it. 
And I love your way of looking at it, which is, well, it depends on where you are. Uh, like I can tell you right now, this is not something I'm currently doing, but if I were doing it, my short-term uh, and maybe even intermediate-term issue would be I want to get some cash flow going because I want to wipe out my debts. I want to have comfort in my lifestyle even more than I have now. And I want to know that in my business, I have enough money coming in that I don't ever have to do anything I don't want to just for the money. I'm kind of already there, but I really want to dial that in hard to know that yeah. no matter how good an opportunity looks on paper, if I ain't feeling it, I ain't doing it because I got this other cash flow coming in. So that's that's kind of what I'm driving at. Now, if yeah, I'm I, looking to build a legacy for the next generation, then, yeah, I want them to have something that's worth more than in the future than it is now that they can cash in on down the road. That's right. That's exactly right. And I don't, I don't think there's – like those that make the argument, and I've heard them make the argument before that one is better than the other – I just don't – I don't buy it. I don't think that that's right. I mean, I think it's so much is depending on the investor and what their goals are in that period of time. I mean, I wanted to be able to go play the World, World Series of Poker. It's a you know main event. It's a $10,000 cash buy-in. I wanted to do yeah. that. I wanted to be able to have a Tesla. You know, that's a $100,000 car if you get the, you know, the, the one I wanted. You know, to be able right. to fund those activities and that type of purchases, I wanted to do it like not really worrying about it, knowing that there's oh, there's plenty of cash coming in to cover this stuff and I can do all this stuff and not have any sort of worry that, you know, it's digging into, you know, savings or digging into, you know, our uh, net worth or anything. I, like my cash flow for my investments is covering all of that and I can enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, and there are also people who argue that you shouldn't, uh, if you spend money, whether you should invest on things or whether you should invest in experiences. And I lean toward experiences myself. I'm a minimalist by nature. But I tell you, one thing I'm always going to have is I'm always going to have a very nice car because I need something that's fun to drive and goes fast. That's important with to you. me. And and, le- and leading to my point that yeah, it's a thing, but it's also an experience. I have a few friends who have Teslas. And when they tell me what it's like to have their Tesla versus any other vehicle they've ever owned or driven before in their lives, that's an experience. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, you know, I think back maybe 10 years ago when, you know, I was really like craving more and more respect. I would have, I would have bought, you know, the car for the, for the, you know, the, just the, the posture, the respect, the look at me. And now it was like, no, I mean, that's, of course, you know, I can't say that that's not driving me at all, but for the most part, it's just I want the experience of what it's like to be in that car every day, and it's a, it's fun. Uh-huh. I enjoy driving, and that's, you know, so to me, it's, it is. It is. It's buying an experience on a daily basis, not, you know, buying a uh-huh. thing. Yeah, Jack, back when I was 19 years old and I knew everything, remember back in those days when we knew everything? I had I had a Camaro. I had a Camaro, right? And uh, and I would get all these disapproving comments of that thing doesn't drive in the snow and and the fuel economy is bad and uh, and you need to get something to, for transportation. And remember, back then I knew everything. So when you right. know everything, that means you really don't know much. Now, if somebody had had the conversation with me, because I just wasn't thinking at this level, but if somebody had enlightened me to this or made available this line of thinking to me, and I had. Uh, picked up on, you know, you know, learning what I didn't up until then know is somebody said, you know, uh, it's great to have that Camaro. You can drive it eight months out of the year. What about the other four months? Have you thought about 
in addition to the Camaro, buying some 1987 Suzuki hatchback that will get you through snow and will never break down. See, that is something I could have been receptive to, but uh, the assumption that I was being given is, oh, you just want to have that Camaro so you can show off. No, because right. I, I can tell you the biggest problem I had with the Camaro, this is the biggest one, you know, aside from minor mechanical things that came up every once in a while, the challenge was I pull into the driveway and I couldn't put it in park. I had to pull back out and drive another 30 miles because it was that much fun. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. And I and and I, and, I, and I didn't care. And I even then I didn't really care what people thought of my Camaro. If they were like, "Ooh, ah," or they wanted to tell me how Mustangs were better or Porsches were better, I didn't give a rat's ass. Frankly, I just right, liked having a right. car, and that's how I am today. So we've that's covered right. so much on mindset, um, looking at the, the value of uh, you know how we invest, what we look for, we invest, and that's great. We're actually at the top of the hour now. So what I'd like to do now is we have about two minutes left. I want to turn one of those minutes over to you. Just tell our listeners who are listening, who are leaning in, may want to take this to the next step, uh, what you do for them and how they can get engaged with you. Well, yeah, we we provide, you know, an investment cash flowing product. So, you know, in my opinion, like, you know, we've kind of talked about, and, and for most investors, they're probably in the stage where they need, you know, streams of cash flow versus just having yeah. one big pile of cash, you know, one big lump sum of wealth. You know, having streams of income, multiple streams of income coming in are, are, are going to protect you from any sort of downturn or loss or economic shift or maybe disruption in one particular industry that happens. And disruption is going to be more and more uh, fast pace in our economy as it continues to evolve and technology evolves. So you gotta, you gotta really protect yourself. Multiple streams of income is the only way to do it. So essentially when you buy a property from us, it's been, you know, it's gone through a lot of stages of, you know, buyer protection. We've put it through two, um, third party inspections. We've done a scope of work. We provide, you know, finished set of pictures. We, have a great property management relationship that can get it to, you know, really perform and um, has a lot of, you know, a nationwide presence and systems in place. So there, essentially it's a turnkey operation um, where, you know, they're, 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 when they buy the property, we've done all the heavy lifting for them and they can just be comfortable with the passive income that comes in. Not to say that it's a perfect investment because there really isn't one out there. I don't think. I mean, we, there's going to be ups and downs. Your property is, you know, there's there's definitely risk and there's things that can go wrong. But for the most part, for the busy professional, busy entrepreneur that doesn't have, you know, the time or the inclination to go out and study the market and and what to do and how to buy and how to rehab a property and how to get it to perform, you know, we provide a great solution for them. So all they have exactly. to do is go to our website. If you go to our website, highreturnrealestate.com, you can uh, learn a lot about us. There's tons of information on their videos, and we also have a podcast show, and they can book a call yep. with Nicole Haas, our head of investor relations, and she is awesome and vibrant and energetic and knows her stuff. She's an investor with us as well. Awesome. Well, Jack Gibson of High Return Real Estate, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. All right, Adam. Thanks so much. Appreciate all your time and the interview. I totally enjoyed it. So thank you to you and all your listeners. Okay. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of Business Creators Radio Show. 
please visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. We help you win the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.